Well, if you have a Bible, then if you would turn to Ephesians 6, back in Ephesians 6, continue on our series on spiritual warfare, and today we're going to be speaking on the breastplate of righteousness in verse 14. So we'll start in verse 10 and read down to verse 14. And Paul writes there, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So we've been looking at Ephesians, and this is Paul's great exhortation to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And he tells us we not only need the power of God, but we also need to equip ourselves with the divine armor. It's divine armor that he's given us. And the reason he says is, is because there is an evil day. And I would say we're in that evil day. If you haven't already noticed, it's already here. So without God's power and without this armor, he's saying there is no way we'll be able to stand. The enemy, the devil, would crush us with his schemes, his power, his cunning, and his hatred. We're no match for him in and of ourselves without the Lord's power and with the armor that he's given us. As we said, we're not wrestling just against flesh and blood. Our enemy isn't just a mere man, but he is a supernatural being. A supernatural being with a vast kingdom of demonic forces that he controls, and they have one purpose and one purpose only, to steal, kill, and to destroy God's people. So they're described as authorities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual forces that are in heavenly places. They are after you and your family. Everybody in here, that's what they're after, us and our family. So the question I would ask is, can we ignore God's warning to put on the whole armor of God? Because Paul twice commands us to do that, to put on the whole armor of God. Four times he tells us, to put it on and to stand. We've got to stand and stand our ground. So I'd say it is crucial that we pay attention to what God is saying to us in his word about being ready. Because what if a soldier enlists in the army and he goes out to battle and he treats it like, you know, it's just a game of kickball or he's playing shuffleboard on the, the deck of a ship. That's all the more serious he takes it. And I'll tell you what, if that's how he looks at it. As soon as that first bullet comes and rips through his side, he's going to realize he made a mistake. He should have been taking what he's doing in this battle that he's involved in seriously. I'm saying that's the way it'll be for us. So every piece of armor we've said is vital. He says to take on the whole armor of God, not just some of it. I believe that he's put these pieces in order of importance. The belt of truth is listed first because... The first thing we have to do is to place ourselves under the authority of the Word of God as the breathed out revelation of the sovereign God of the universe. 
And if we haven't done that, then none of the other pieces of the armor will work like God intended them to work, should I add. We first have to accept that this is our standard. This right here has everything we need to know to make decisions in our life, how to conduct ourselves, that we can be fully equipped in righteousness to know how to live. Because like I said last week, there are a lot of things out there, public opinion, other churches, that are trying to get you under their authority. And we've got to stay with the authority of the Word of God, rightly divided. And that's one thing here. He's given us the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth that he says will lead and guide us into all truth. So if we're sold out to the Lord and we have the Holy Spirit in us, that should tell us when we're hearing something, there should be a witness within us. That anointing within us should tell us, that's the truth I'm hearing from that person. Or this person over here, that's not right. They've got an angle for what they're saying, even though they're using the Bible. So we have to rightly divide truth. Like I said, if we're not under that authority, then the other pieces won't work. So you've got this person, and he pulls out his sword. He likes that sword, and he's confessing that God is going to supply all of his needs. But yet, he's constantly broke. And why is that? It's because he's ignoring the other part of truth that says... If you see your brother have a need, you need to meet that need. So he doesn't want this part of the truth. He wants the, the truth that says, I'll get all my needs met. And we're saying you have to put yourself under the whole authority of the whole counsel of God for it to work. We can't pick and choose. We can't just choose the parts that benefit us. So God has a right to expect obedience and submission to his truth that's given in the word that we call the Bible. So we strap on that belt. First of all, and everything else is going to fall in place if we're putting that belt on properly and have a proper attitude towards the belt of truth. So today we want to look at the second piece of armor, and that is the breastplate of righteousness. And so why is that listed second? Well, if you think about what does a breastplate on a soldier cover, what does it cover? His vital organs. So people, humans, have five vital organs, and the breastplate's going to cover four of them because you have a helmet to cover the brain. The other vital organs are the heart, the lungs, the kidneys, and your liver. So if any one of those organs is seriously damaged, a person's life will cease. That's why they're called vital organs. <laughs> they're vital or essential to life. So you can lose a finger, you could lose an arm, you could get your ears cut off like Van Gogh, and you're still going to live. But if somebody sends a knife through your heart, you're done. Right? It's death. And that's the area of Scripture, those areas that I just mentioned, where writers of the Bible, they locate our will and our conscience in the heart, our emotions and our feelings, our desires, and they're all essential to our spiritual life. Because we know from the Bible that sinners are said to have wicked and stubborn hearts. They shut up their bowels of compassion. They have no love or affection for God's truth. And their vital organs, I would say, have mortal wounds. And that was all of us before we came to the Lord. Because the Bible says what? They are dead in their trespasses and sins. But listen, when we're born again, God brings back life and healing to the vital areas of our spiritual life. Our hearts are changed. 
our desires are redirected, our wills are brought out of bondage, because before we're born again, the only thing we can do with our free will is to freely choose to sin. We're not free to choose righteousness, but God changes our heart and our will. And hey, now we can choose righteousness, brought out of bondage. And all of that needs to be protected. And that's what the breastplate of righteousness is designed to do. So the devil seeks to attack us as Christians, our spiritual organs, our vital spiritual organs. And so to speak, he wants to give us a mortal wound, put us down. So what is this righteousness that makes up the breastplate, this breastplate of righteousness? And I believe what Paul is speaking here is two things. Two things make up this breastplate of righteousness. A righteousness that comes not from within ourselves, but that comes from God himself. And it's what's known theologically as imputed righteousness. And we'll explain what that is here in a little bit. It's a righteousness that's a gift that is given to us. But there's also a righteousness of holy character and conduct. So Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, he says, you shall in no case, there is no way you will enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's a righteous nature that's imparted to us in the new birth that produces a righteous life. And we have to have a righteous life. So there's a righteousness that's imputed to us as a gift. It's all a gift. But we also, through the new birth, which is a gift, but we're given a righteous nature that produces righteous character. In 1 John 3, 7, he wrote this, little children, he says, don't let anyone deceive you. Let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous, even as he, the Lord Jesus Christ, is righteous. So imputed righteousness and the imparted righteousness both come from God. How? Through our faith. And they're both woven together, I said. They're connected together to form that breastplate to cover our vital organs. So what about this imputed righteousness, this perfect righteousness that is a gift? So let me ask, everyone in here we know is not saved. I think most are, and I don't want to put my finger on who isn't because I don't know for sure all of them, right? But let me ask you, do you want to go to heaven? That's all the same people saying that. You want to go, yeah, well, I want to go. Well, so do I. Let me ask you, do you want to be in fellowship with God? So do you know what God requires? A righteous life. And a righteous life is one that is lived in perfect obedience to his law or to his will. That is what a righteous life is according to the Bible. So who in here has done that? So everyone that just said yes, who wants to raise their hand and tell us that they have never broken the law, the Ten Commandments, right? Who has never lied? I've talked to a lot of guys in prison, and I think I have never had anyone say they didn't lie. Now, I've had them say they didn't steal and they didn't do a lot of it. Everybody admits to lying. And who would say they've never lied? Or who would want to say they've never stolen anything, never lusted? Who would want to say you've always honored your parents? Never been angry? It's going to say they've never been angry or hateful. Who wants to say you've never done those things since you've been born again? Does anyone want to raise their hand and say, I've never done any of those things since I've been born again? Unless you just got saved. It'd be kind of tough, wouldn't it? 
Well, what about last month? Not since you were born again. What about this week? Has any of that happened to you this week? So Paul in Romans 3 says that there is not one human being, and I'll add this, born of Adam. One human being born of Adam that has ever been just. Not one human being has ever been righteous. And he says there is none righteous. And just in case you say, well, I think I've been a pretty good person. I was born a Christian. He says, no, not you. No, not one. Not you. And people will tell you that. I was born a Christian. No, you weren't. None righteous, he says, no, not one. And he goes on to say, now we know that what things soever the law, the Ten Commandments says, it says to them who are under the law, and it says that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world, that is everybody, may become guilty before God. And he says, therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified, be declared righteous in his sight. For all the law does is give us the knowledge that we are unrighteous and we are unjust and we are undone before the Lord. That's what the law is designed to do. All the world is guilty before God. All the world is deserving of hell. And I would add that by the deeds of the law, no Christian can ever be justified in his sight. Without justification, without righteousness, we cannot stand before God. You can't. And we're bankrupt as sinners and saints. And we need a perfect righteousness to be in fellowship with God. And yet, how can we produce it? Because our past, if your past is like mine, it is a mess. And we don't believe, at least I don't, in Christian perfectionism. So in 1 John 1, 8, it says, if we say that we have no sin, he says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we have no righteousness of our own. And you're all looking at me like, man, what is, where are you getting this from? Well, you hear what I'm saying here. So what is the answer then? What is our hope? Our hope is that God has provided righteousness that is outside of us, a righteousness we receive as a gift, a perfect righteousness that we are robed with. Did you know that? That is the heart of the gospel. So through our faith, through our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are given his righteousness. We're given the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. His perfect life, his perfect obedience to the law is given to us as a gift. That's the only way we can stand before a holy God. We have got to be righteous and we don't have it. Our past condemns us, our present condemns us. And if anyone's going to say, I'm going to live the rest of my days without ever sinning, I'm saying so we don't have a righteous life to present before the Lord. It has to be given to us as a gift. That is the heart of the gospel. We're undone. We need help. It's imputed to us. An imputation, it's a legal term. It means it's put on our account. His righteousness is given on our account before the Lord. So it's the foundation of the gospel, the heart of the gospel. And without that, there is no good news. If we were not given and imputed the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
we would perish. It's that serious. It really is. And it's important that we understand it. And I'll get into why more here later, why it's critical. And I think the fact that we don't understand it is tripping a lot of us up and allowing the devil to get us discouraged and not to pray and not to do a lot of things because we're looking at our own righteousness and saying, man, I don't measure up. How can I come before God, a holy God? Inside, I feel unworthy. And if, when you understand the doctrine of justification by faith alone and that we are given our Lord Jesus Christ's righteousness, it'll free you up. It's a glorious truth. How many of us look how we're living to determine if we're right before the Lord? So we think, man, I've been trying a little harder this week, praying a little more, reading my Bible a little more regular. I've been nice to my wife and kids this week, right? And that makes you right before God and that you have a right to go to heaven and a right to have your prayers answered. And there's this other person on the other hand that just missed it yesterday or maybe this morning and in a moment of weakness they blew up at somebody they cut in front of them anybody ever do that in here some guys texting not paying attention they cut in front of you and you lose it Has anybody ever done that nah nobody in here would ever do that right and you tell yourself there man i must not be saved the devil's in your ear you're not saved you lose it that easy off of something like that you're not even a christian he's telling you or you realize you know i thought i was trusting the lord for my finances, and I thought it was, but I got in a trial here, and all of a sudden I realized I am really struggling with doubt. And man, how can I be right with God? So listen, you know, Greg shared something last week, not everybody was here, about that you miss it. And you somehow, we tend to think, man, I just missed it. I lost it. I did whatever. And so there's no way I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm just before God. I have a right to go before the Lord. And we tend to stay away from him when really all he's doing is, look, we're imperfect. Our perfect standing with him doesn't depend on the fact that we just missed it one time, right? We need to go to him in prayer and not let that be a hindrance because our perfect righteousness is not dependent on living perfect lives or none of us would have righteousness before the Lord. It's based on the perfect life of our Savior. So we never want the progress we make in our Christian life to be what we're trusting in as our righteous standing before the Lord, because his standard is perfection. And Paul said if anybody had reason to trust in his own righteousness, it was him. So turn to Philippians, if you would, Philippians 3. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 4. And Paul writes there, he says, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinks that he has whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. And Paul's saying, look, the way I live my life, if anyone could trust it, they could be right with God by the way they live. It's me. I'm more than anybody. And he goes on to say, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man think he has whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Verse 4. He was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Look what he says, touching the righteousness which was in the law. Paul says, I was blameless. He says, but what things were gained to me, these I count loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And look what he says in verse 9. And he says, I want to be found in him, not 
having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. But what does he want to be found? That which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God or from God. And how do we obtain that? By faith. So before salvation, Paul was about as perfect a person as you would ever want to meet in the flesh. But he says, no, I don't want to be found on that day in mine own righteousness. And why was that? For one thing, it was a self-righteousness, was it not? And he says, I want to be found in him, not with my own righteousness, but with the righteousness that comes from faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from or of God. So he knows, Paul knows, he needs a perfect righteousness. And who is the only one that has ever lived a perfect life in obedience to the law? Not only inwardly, but also outwardly. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul says, I'm putting my trust in. His righteousness that I have by faith. And that is what he says, I'm going to use that and plead that before God as my reason that I should be accepted. So the doctrine of justification by faith alone is the heart of Christianity. And it's what separates Christianity from all other religions because all other religions say we know we fall short we know we're not righteous and we're trying to work our way back in there every other religion including catholicism and only christianity says true christianity says i need to receive it as a gift by faith by my union with the lord jesus christ this perfect righteousness that gives me my conscience a perfect standing before the lord before god the father because man has two major problems. And one is God demands perfect obedience to his law. And the other problem is, is that when that law is broken, the justice of God demands death. A penalty must be paid. And without those two demands being met, all men, everyone in this room, face the judgment of an eternal hell. So we have to have a perfect obedience before the Lord. And when that's broken, the death penalty goes into effect. So we all desperately need two things. Someone to pay the penalty for our sins and to be able to present a righteous life before God. We need to be able to do that. And we were bankrupt as sinners. Everyone was totally bankrupt. We could not produce either. And we still can't and we never will. But God, in his great love and mercy, has provided both for us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's known as the great exchange. So our sins were exchanged for his righteousness. And guess who gets the better end of that deal? <laughs> he had to suffer for us to gain his righteousness, suffer on the cross. It is all about the cross. All of this is about the cross. Without that, we would be totally undone. Without him coming to this earth and living amongst sinful humanity and living a perfectly holy life that could be given to us, put on our account, we would all be lost and undone. And we need to really be thankful. The today of all days is a day of communion, right? So the great exchange, turn to 2 Corinthians 5, if you would. And beginning in verse 20, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. He's saying, oh, please, 
Look what he's done. He's died for you. Be reconciled, he says. We're, we're doing it in God's stead. But look, because here's the reason. Verse 21, 4, he has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So when he says, as all of us should know here, that he was made to be sin, it doesn't mean that Jesus became a sinner. Amen? He was not made sin in the sense he was made an immoral person, but it means he was counted as if he was a sinner. He was treated as if he was a sinner. He was treated as if it's you. That's how he's treated, that that was you on that cross, that it was me. He was treated like he lived our lives, but he didn't because he was sinless. And when it says that we may be made the righteousness of God in him, it doesn't mean that we are made morally perfect. It means that God counts us as righteous. We're declared righteous, legally treated as if we lived the life of Jesus. His perfect life is given to us. And why? Why is his life, why is that able to happen? Do you know why? It's another great truth because of our union with him. We are united to him in a real way. And that's why it says, look at the end of verse 21, it says that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. In him means in union with him. We're united to him by our faith. And that is a tremendous because we are one with him, one in spirit. Part of him, listen, Ephesians 5, Paul writes this, we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. He says that's a great mystery. I mean, my wife and I joke all the time about how, you know, we'll feel the same way or she's going through a hard time. Well, I could tell. And all that, you know, we joke, it's the one flesh. I mean, I'm sure all of you do that too, right? It's just like things go on, things you know. It's just that one, it's a mystery, that one flesh union that takes place. And Paul says, we are members. We're united to him in that way. We're members of his body, of his bones, of his flesh. And he says, it's a mystery. He says, but I'm not talking about a husband and wife. That just shows what's going on between Christ and the church, between Christ and the church. Because he says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He says, we're united to Christ like a man and woman are in marriage. And that is how the great exchange takes place. We're one with him, like a husband and wife. And our sins become his. He died for our sins. They became his, really did become his. Didn't become a sinner, but our sins became his. And his righteousness becomes ours. And we don't have to work for it. We can't. We're bankrupt, but yet we need it. We do. To stand before God on that judgment day, to get our prayers answered, we need his righteousness for everything, to have fellowship with God. And it's given to us by virtue of our marriage union. And that, my friends, is a tremendous blessing. It really is. The great doctrine of justification by faith alone. No works Faith is just the instrument. It's just reaching out and taking what God is saying. Here, this perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, that blood that was shed on the cross, just reach out and take it. You don't have to do a thing to earn it. It's just simple trust. 
And listen, it's beautifully illustrated. If you will turn to the Old Testament in Zechariah. So you got Malachi, the last book, and right after him is Mr. Zechariah. We were there the other night with Israel. But if you turn to Zechariah 3, Zechariah 3, beginning in verse 1, and it says, And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And who was there? Satan, our adversary, standing at his right hand to do what? Resist him. He's our enemy. We're fighting him. And verse 2 says, The Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem. Rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee. And I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. And I said, let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. And that is a picture of us. That's a picture of what I'm talking about. He's saying there that Joshua is standing there in filthy garments and listen, by filthy, he doesn't just mean they got a little road dirt on them. That word for filthy is the Hebrew word for excrement. That's what his garments were. They weren't just filthy. They were excrement. Filthy and they smelled bad. That's the picture you're getting. Garments were totally disgusting to look at and to be around. And that is us in our own righteousness, is it not? What does it say? Our, all our righteousness is, is what? Filthy rags. And so we're talking about this warfare with Satan. And he's standing right there accusing him. And the Lord has to rebuke him, doesn't he? And what does he say? He says, is this not a brand plucked out from the fire? One of mine? Isn't that what we are? The whole earth, the whole world is unrighteous perishing, headed to hell, and God pulls us out like a brand plucked from the fire. And that's what he said. He takes him out, plucks us from the fire of hell, and that is what we will always deserve. Always will deserve that. And that's where our righteousness will get us. But what does he say? He says, take away from Joshua those filthy garments. Take them off of him. And how can that happen? Through the cross. That's how it happens for us. We're washed in that blood. Then it say the robes were washed in the blood of the lamb. <laughs> Before that, we had filthy garments like Joshua the priest. And he says, take them away. And he says, what? Put other garments on him. Nothing he did to earn them. Doesn't say he went and made and say, Joshua, go sew yourself some garments. He says, take those off and take those filthy garments off and place these other robes on him priestly robes, and a mitre so he can do his priestly service. Robes of righteousness. That's a picture of us right there. But look on down. Look in verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. He goes on to tell Joshua after he's been robed in his righteousness that if thou will walk in my ways, if you will keep my charge, then you shall also judge my house and shall also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among those that stand by. 
So what's he saying there? He's saying you're clothed with the robes of righteousness. That was a gift, but you are also expected to walk in the ways of the Lord. In other words, he's telling Joshua, yeah, I've given you this gift of righteousness, but you're also expected to walk in the paths of righteousness, which is what I'm saying our armor, our breastplate consists of. A gift of the Lord, but we're also through his power, through his might, to walk in paths of righteousness. So the two go hand in hand. This imputed righteousness, with it comes a righteous nature that produces righteous living. Because back where we were in Ephesians 4, it says we are to put on the new man. As Christians, Paul commands us to put on the new man who is created in righteousness and true holiness. And in chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 9, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And both of those, imputed and righteous living, spring from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're both, I'm saying, part of the breastplate. But listen, I want to talk more because we talk all the time here about right living. And we understand, I think, in this church, we are expected to live holy lives, right? I just don't know how well we understand about this imputed righteousness that's given to us. So that robe of righteousness is what gives us our right standing with God. And listen, that knowledge should give us great relief. You know why? Because it's telling us we no longer have to produce a perfect life. It's been given to us as a gift through our faith. And I think so many times people are like, man, if I'm not living right, I'm not whatever, then I'm not going to make it in, or I'm not right, or maybe I haven't been saved. And Isaiah 61.10 says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. And why does he say that? My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he, God, has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He, God, has covered me with the robes of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And so I'm saying, what are you trusting as your ground for being righteous or just before God? What are you looking at? Are you looking at the way you live either way? And you're like, well, man, I can't seem to think of any sin I've committed lately. I've been ever doing everything that I know to do. I'm a good person. I've been praying a lot, fasting. I go into prison and preach to the inmates there. And I'm saying, is that what you're trusting in? That you have a good standing before the Lord? And I'll tell you, when you think like that, you know what that is? That is sinking sand that you're standing on, right? Because we need to trust in the righteousness of Christ alone is what I'm saying. And here's how the song goes. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And he says, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I dare not trust the fact that I think I'm doing really good spiritually as far as that I'm okay with the Lord. He's saying that is dangerous territory because the devil comes in and trips you up one day and you've just lost your platform. You better always be counting on the righteousness of Jesus Christ as you're standing with the Lord. Because he'll come with his accusations, won't he? He'll say, hey, you know, you've got a lot of imperfections and weaknesses in your life. And he is the accuser. So we need to have on the breastplate of righteousness to secure our vital organs and especially our heart. The accuser of the brethren. Because I wouldn't try to reason with him in that way. I'd tell him, look... 
You may be right, devil. I did those things. I'm not denying. I'm not going to argue with you about all that. But I'm not trusting in my life, my righteousness, as far as my standing before the Lord God. I am absolutely and utterly dependent on the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. Whether I have a bad day or whether I'm a spiritual dynamo. He's saying that's where our trust needs to be. In the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our only plea. Jesus' blood and righteousness never our own holiness. So we should be living holy lives, should we not? It says without holiness, we know that, that no man will see the Lord. And we've been created in righteousness in true holiness. But that is not the basis for our justification before God. It's Jesus' blood and righteousness because it's still on our best day. Luke 17, 10. When you shall have done all those things which are commanded you, you are still what? What are we still? Unprofitable service. We've only done what was our duty to do. So listen, there's a man I know. I've, I've never forgotten this since I read it. I read this book years back. It took me a while to get this book. It was out of print and hard to find. But there was an evangelist named A.B. Earl. And he was a great American evangelist back in the 1800s. And he was saved. And he had good results in his evangelist, but he wasn't satisfied. He's saying, I'm not seeing the results I want to see. I'm up and down as far as how I'm living. And so he decides, I'm going to make a total dedication of my life, body, soul, and spirit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wrote out a covenant and made a consecration before the Lord. When he made this consecration, you know what? Within that, he didn't say he was going to make his final acceptance before God on the basis of his holiness and the fact that he was totally sold out. Listen to what he wrote. This is not all of it, but it's most of it. He said, this day I make a new consecration of my all to Christ Jesus. I now and forever give myself to thee, my soul to be washed in thy blood and saved in heaven at the last, my whole body to be used for thy glory, and I will obey thee in every known duty. And I thought, that caught my attention there. I thought, he put in there, my soul to be washed in thy blood and saved in heaven at last. And I'm telling you, that man did dedicate himself to where God's spirit came on him. Tremendous revivals after he made this dedication began to take place under his ministry. Thousands were saved in America on both coasts. He was in total demand. But I never forgot that, that he said, oh, despite all that, Despite my holiness, despite the fact that I have given myself to total holiness, let you work out. He names all these sins God worked out in his life. But still, he's saying, when it comes to the end, and I stand before God on that judgment day, that's not going to be what I present as the basis for me to be accepted. He said, no, to my soul to be washed in thy blood and to be saved at the end. We need to remember that no matter how holy we think we are, it's never that. So listen, this is the verse that we need to get back to. Romans 8.1. We have righteousness before the Lord, do we not? Now. We're not waiting to get it. You don't have to do certain things before all of a sudden God's going to count you justified and righteous and perfect in his sight in that sense. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. 
So condemnation speaks of being at the judgment seat of Christ. And he's saying we don't have to wait there to find out what our sentence is going to be. That's what the Catholics think. They think, man, I won't know until that day comes because I may have a little purgatory between now and then, trying to time I die and make it in. And he's saying there is therefore now no condemnation. Listen, what we have to see is we are taken out of that realm, Paul says, of the law of sin and death. We've been translated into a new kingdom. And what we all need to see here is we have got a new relationship with God. He's clothed us. We've seen it. With what? Robes of righteousness. We all up here in a robe of righteousness. He's given us his breastplate of righteousness to protect us from the accusations of the devil. John 5, 23, Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death unto life. So if you've put your life and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying you will not come into condemnation because you have his righteousness. Otherwise you would. That's the whole point. Our sins will never be held against us for judgment because we have the righteousness of Christ to plead. So look over in Romans 8, if you would. That's what Paul is saying here. Romans 8, beginning in verse 31, he says this. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And what does it say? It is God that justifieth. And that means it is God that has declared us righteous. And he says, who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. There is nothing that condemn us. We can't be condemned. Who is he that's going to condemn us? It is God that has declared us righteous because of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what about if we sin? What happens then? You say, every time I sin, I feel like I'm a hypocrite and it's all a sham. Well, I would say, well, that all depends. If you're living in unconfessed, unrepentant sin... If you're living in sin that characterizes your life, then I'd say you have a problem. It's not going to work for you because the Bible also says this. In this, the children of God are manifest or evident and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God. So if righteous living doesn't characterize your life, you are not of God. That's what he says. That's what John wrote. So we have to have righteous character, do we not? We can't just plead, I've got the imputed righteousness of Christ covering me, robes of righteousness. He says, no, with that you have to have a righteous life. That's what John wrote. So living is part of the breastplate because it gives us assurance. It tells us that our faith is genuine. He says, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he 
is righteous. So the faith that brings us imputed righteousness, if you have that faith and it's living, it's the same faith that will produce a righteous character and conduct. There's no difference. The same faith will produce both or you don't have faith, not biblical faith. But here's the thing. If you sin, and you will, and you realize... I'm more wicked than I thought I was because I got in this situation that just brought something out of me I didn't know was there. I didn't know I was like that. That's not the time to give up and to quit praying. <laughs> it's not. So you need to read 1 John because what does it say in 1 John 2.1, my little children? He said, these things I write unto you that you sin not. He's not giving us a license to sin, but he goes on to say, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So Jesus Christ the righteous, he will be your defense attorney if you sin. He will be pleading his righteousness on your behalf. Because he also says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just or righteous to forgive us our sins, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we'll just repent and confess our sins, God promises to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, whatever it is that caused that problem. And that is the breastplate that we can wear. That trust in that. <laughs> so putting on the breastplate of righteousness means when the devil uses our consciousness to remind us, and he constantly does, doesn't he? All of what we've done in our lives in the past year, the past week, yesterday. Putting on that breastplate of righteousness means we don't argue with him. Tell him, yeah, I'm totally guilty of everything you say, but I'm not coming before the Lord in mine own righteousness. That's not the way I come before the Lord in prayer or in any way. That's not it. But the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you just have to let him know, look, my conscience and my life has been cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And that is how we're able to pray. We can't argue about how righteous or unrighteous we are. We have to come before him in Jesus' blood and righteousness. That is how we come before the throne. It is. So you try to come any other way, and that's probably what's keeping a lot of us from praying like we should. We feel unworthy. How can I come? I don't feel like I'm a righteous person. The way I've been living and the devil's on your conscience about you've done this, you've done that. And that's when we need to get before the Lord, confess our sins. And it says he'll cleanse us. The blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can approach the throne. And we'll see that clearly here. Turn to Hebrews 10. Look what it says in Hebrews 10. Exactly what I just said. Beginning in verse 19. The writer of Hebrews says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. And how do we have boldness to enter into the holiness? What does it say there at the end of verse 19? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And we have a high priest over the house of God. And he says in verse 22, let us draw near with what? A true heart. That's where that breastplate is covering. 
in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And what is it sprinkled with? What is it that sprinkles our hearts from an evil conscience? The blood of Jesus Christ, no? That's what it says back in chapter 9, verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, he will purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living Christ, the living God. Verse 14, chapter 9. How much more the blood of Christ, it'll purge your conscience of the sins you've committed that we can come before him in his righteousness. He is the high priest pleading his righteousness and we have his blood that cleanses our conscience. That is the breastplate that we put on to go before the Lord in prayer. So he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. That's our boldness to enter the holiest. So you've messed up. You've had issues. Repent. Ask God to forgive you if you need to. And we come before the Lord. Listen, we don't plead our own righteousness, but we say, I have the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how I'm coming before you. That's how I'm able to. Not because I'm so holy. It doesn't matter how good you have or haven't been. That's still not the way we approach the throne of God. We approach him through that righteousness that is given to us, imputed to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's three hymns I like to... Just briefly give a little bit out of these three different hymns that talks about that because you get a lot of theology in older hymns that you don't get in the newer ones. And there's a lot of theology about this righteousness that is given to us. And there's one hymn here, And Can It Be, by Charles Wesley. And in it, he says, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. He says what we just read in Hebrews, clothed in righteousness divine. That is how I boldly approach the eternal throne, not in our own righteousness. That's where your confidence will be. If you could just get hold of what I'm saying. Is it coming through? <laughs> All righty. Another hymn, this is a more modern one. I will glory in my Redeemer, says, I will glory in my Redeemer who crushed the power of sin and death, my only Savior before the Holy Judge, the Lamb who is my righteousness. Amen. The Lamb of God is our righteousness. The solid rock says this, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Amen? Amen. That's what will get us before the throne. Dressed in his righteousness alone. Yeah, we'll have lived righteous lives. We'll have done righteous deeds. We have to. The righteousness shows that we're saved. That we have a new nature. But that's not what we're going to stand before him in. To be accepted dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. But listen, I want to get back to Jay's song. Praise God. What does it say? The same thing we've been saying all morning. He opened up the gates of righteousness to me. They were closed before. 
We didn't have any righteousness. But God in his mercy has opened up the gates of righteousness to me, and I will go in and praise his name. Jeremiah calls him, he is the Lord our righteousness. He is the one that is our righteousness. We need to look to him. Amen. So let's just determine we are going to put on that breastplate of righteousness as we walk in our day, as, especially as we go before the Lord in prayer. So it doesn't matter. You talk to someone, you can tell them, it does not matter how bad you were. Because how bad you were is not going to determine your standing before God. You put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then how bad you were is washed away, and you are given a new robe of righteousness. You can tell a person that. I can tell the most wicked sinner I see in prison that. It doesn't matter that you murdered your mother. And I know a guy that murdered his mother, and he lives in condemnation. It doesn't matter about that, because you don't have to earn your way out of that. Give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and he will clothe you with his righteousness. That's the gospel. Amen. It is the gospel. Jesus' blood forgives our sin and his righteousness gives us that perfect life. That's what we need. And that's what we should rejoice in. And that's what communion tells us. His body was broken and his blood was shed for us to open up the gates of righteousness. Amen. 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 Well, let's pray. And Father, we just so much thank you for the gift that you've given us of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we just thank you that his blood was shed for us on that cross. And he was willing to come and live in this sinful world and live a perfect, holy life. And then offer himself on that cross as a sacrifice that was a sweet-smelling savor. So that we, undeserving, wicked sinners with filthy rags, were able to be clothed in his righteousness that our souls were washed our consciences washed in his blood and we just thank you for that revelation that you've given us lord and i just ask that you'll make that real to all of us here today as we stand before you and we thank you for that lord in jesus name amen
His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast of anything, no gifts, nor power, nor wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my his wounds have paid my ransom at the cross at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. Oh, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. 